0: Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. The Outpouring is a vibrant Christ-centered church in sunny Orlando, Florida. Thanks so much for tuning in and we hope you enjoy today's message by Pastor John Daniels. What's up, family? Hope you enjoyed the worship experience this morning. So glad to see you again here online to all of our first time visitors online. We're so excited and so glad that you've come to worship with us on this morning. If this is your first time, you can hop right there in the comments on our online platform and let us know where you're from, let us know your name and some of our outpouring family will respond back to you and just make you feel real good that you've joined us on this morning. We're so excited to gather together again and I hope everything is going well in your life. We've been praying for you. We pray that you've been safe and that Jesus has been keeping you during this arduous season of life. But nonetheless, man, we are excited about everything that God is doing. And so I hope that your faith is strong. I hope that you are pressing into Jesus during this time. But without further ado, man, I'm ready to dive right into the word of God this morning. We've been in a series, what seems like for an eternity, at least since February, um, called Live on Mission. We've been living on mission as a church, even though we are not gathering physically. And so what that means is we've been living out this gospel mission every day, no matter where God has us. We've living that we're living that thing out where we live, where we learn, where we work or where we play. It doesn't matter. We, we are living on mission. And so our sermon series is living on mission. And so we have these subtitles and we'll have one today. But I want to invite you, if you've got a Bible, whether it's on your smartphone or your device or whatever it is, or you got a good old fashioned Bible, which which I love the Bible. I want you to turn with me to first Peter chapter 4, and this morning we're reading uh, verses 12 through 19, First Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. To all of my outpouring family, while you're grabbing your Bibles, I just want to let you know that I, I miss you, and I've been praying for you, and I hope that you've been praying for your pastor. First Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19, and I'll begin reading. It says this, dear friends. Don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you also will rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rest on you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. For the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who disobey the gospel of God? And if a righteous person is saved with difficulty, what will be the outcome of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you, God. We just honor you today, God. We give you praise and glory God, you are good. I don't care what the world says, what the world believes, God. You are a good and gracious God. And so we celebrate you on this morning for your wonder and for your majesty. God, thank you for your son Jesus who you sent to die for our sins, who did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And so God, we thank you that through your son Jesus, you made a way for us that we could have salvation free and full through Jesus. And so this morning, God, I'm asking you that you do only what you can do. God, I pray that you would throw your weight around on your people this morning, God. I pray that you renew our minds, God, that you transform our hearts, God, that you will make us radically different, God, that we would live for you. And so, Lord, we just thank you this morning that you're going to speak to us, God, that you're going to say something to us, that you're going to press so many things upon our heart. And so, God, we pray that this morning we can tune out all distractions that is going on in the house or in the car or wherever we are, God, I pray that we can focus, God, with razor sharp focus this morning, God, because we want to hear from you. And ultimately, God, my, my final prayer is that Jesus would be made known, that, that his name would be made great, that if, any, that if we don't get anything else from the message this morning, that we would know That salvation is in Christ and in Christ alone, and so Father, we thank you this morning. We give you glory. We give you praise. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And right where you are, the people said, "Amen." So my sermon title this morning is "Living on Mission," still managing the surprises. Still managing the surprises. This message, this particular section of 1 Peter comes full circle for me and it comes full circle for our church. Our church is five years old, but the very first message that was preached at this church in January of 2015 was this very passage. And the sermon title was called Manage the Surprises. And the reason why I think I was led to that passage to set the course for our church was that I I wanted us to be able to focus on God, but also at the same time realize that most of the Christian life boils down to this one simple thing, how we manage what we don't see coming. And so for us as Christians, we must realize that things in this life will happen because we bear the name of Jesus. This life as a Christian is no walk in the park. It is not an easy stroll through the park that there will be some challenges in this life. If you've been saved for longer than five minutes, you'll realize that the battle is not on Sunday morning, but the battle happens Monday through Friday. The battle happens when you have to go out into the world. When you leave the four walls of the church, that is when the battle happens. And so I thought that that was necessary to set the course for our church that when things did not go the way that we planned, that we didn't lose hope and that we weren't driven to despair, but that we would keep our hope in Jesus knowing that this is a part of the Christian life. And if there's anything that we should have learned from these previous three months of studying the book of First Peter, it is that God intends for us to live out the gospel in every single aspect of our lives. That ministry in Jesus' name does not begin and end on Sunday morning. That there is value and significance in the day-to-day life of a believer. That there is great joy for us in knowing that I don't have to wait to become a professional Christian for God to use me. That God can use me right where I am, that I don't have to uh, obtain some certain level of life for God to use me and for me to find purpose in life. One of the most beautiful things about being a Christian is that I can be in the most seemingly insignificant place in my life and God can use me right where I am. That right there in the mundane of the day-to-day God can still get the glory out of our lives. So I don't care where you are or what you do or what your career is or what your job is or what your relationship status is. God can use you if you are faithful right where you are. There is purpose in your life if you belong to Christ Jesus. And so for us as believers, we know that we can steward our responsibilities right where God has us. There is so much peace there's so much joy in following Jesus. There is so much goodness in following Jesus, even though it is hard at times. But any, with any mission, there's always going to be opposition. And so what Peter wants them to know is don't be surprised by it but expect it, expect for things to happen that you didn't plan on happening. Think for a moment about the Christian life and realize that all of the things that we've had planned, how often do things turn out just the way we had planned? That in this Christian life, there will be times where we will have to go down the hard road As believers, we follow one who had to walk through life and face many fiery ordeals. And so, undeserved suffering and persecution because you are a Christian is something not for us to be bewildered by, but we should anticipate that things will happen in this life. Relationships will go awry. Jobs will go awry. Things will happen in the course of our family life that will not be what we planned to have happen, but Jesus gave us warning in advance. He said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, he gives us some courage, take heart, I have overcome the world. That, that's good news for us, and so the advance warning that Jesus gives shouldn't scare us, but it should serve to prepare us. And so we live in this fallen world, and, and the world seemingly is increasingly immoral. And so unexpected and un- unfortunate events serve as a reminder for us, like Keith Sweat said in 1987, something, 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 something just ain't right. And so whenever things are, are going awry in the world, even when you're doing the right thing. It should serve as a reminder that we live in a fallen world. And since Genesis chapter 3, things have not been right since the fall in the garden. And so we can count on things going wrong because the world is not the way that it should be. It should actually make us long for the days when God will come back. It should make us long for the one who is coming back to make everything right. Because of sin, the world is off of its rocker. But there is good news. Jesus is coming back to rescue him. His people. He is coming back to restore everything to its rightful place but we must endure to the end and that will include us managing the surprises of life. Workplace hostility is something that we have to manage because we are Christians. Marital hostility because you are striving to do the right thing in a relationship and sometimes things will go awry. That serves as a type of suffering, but we must manage it well. Ostracism from your family because you are following Jesus will happen. Loss of friends because you made a break with your own life will happen. You may feel like an outcast because you hold fast to biblical uh, a biblical worldview of marriage in a world that, that increasingly uh, is more liberal to Towards marriage, in it they define it themselves. You may feel ostracized because you stand up for the unborn and you believe in the imago dei in the womb and outside of the womb. And so, all of these things are a type of fiery ordeal that we will have to deal with as believers. But but the Bible says something interesting. Instead of being surprised, we actually should anticipate. But not only anticipate. It says something interesting. It says that we should rejoice. James chapter 2 follows the same thing. The Lord's brother James said it in James chapter 2 verse 2. Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. It's almost as saying that you should expect it to happen, but your reaction to it shouldn't be fret and trepidation. Your reaction to it should be to rejoice in it. And so I'm going to give you a couple of reasons why we can rejoice when we face suffering. And the first thing that I want you to know and the first reason that we can rejoice is this. We can rejoice because the tests, these fiery ordeals prove that our faith is real. Let me ask you a question. How would anyone know your faith is real unless you went through a season of testing and you still maintained your testimony. How will your friends and family know that you are really a true follower of Jesus if they never see you go through something and see you come out on the other side of it and still say God is good? How will your family know that you are real about your faith if you've gotten furloughed or you lost your job because of of a pandemic and you walked away from Jesus? No, the real proof and testimony of your faith is whether good or bad, job or no or no job, God is still good and so my faith is proved because I am walking through the fire of life and I'm still holding on to my faith. How would your faith in Christ prove to be authentic unless you lost something or at some point had to give up something or at some point in your life you had to sacrifice something? I'm always interested in people's story and they tell me that they're following Jesus but they can never point to a time in their life where they never had to give something up. But if you are truly following Jesus, There will come a time and you'll walk with God where the rubber will have to meet the road and you will have to draw a line in the sand with some way of life or some people in your life. And so for us, when we walk through these ideals and we lose stuff and we lose people because of our faith, we prove that our faith is real when we hold on to Jesus even through the difficult seasons. First Peter chapter one, verse six and seven, we read this at the outset. He set the course in his own letter Here's what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6-7. He says, you rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. Here's why. So that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable, is refined by fire. Here's what he wants it to do. So that it may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so there is is something praiseworthy when you allow God to help you come through on the other end that you didn't walk away from your faith because you had a hard season. The second reason that we can rejoice is because these trials provides opportunities for us to share in the sufferings of our Savior. Let me say that again. We can rejoice because trials provides opportunities for us to share in the sufferings of our Savior. And so these trials that come in our lives, we actually get to experience a little bit of what Jesus had to experience. Let let me give you a very transparent story. So once upon a time in my career, in years past, I, I wanted to be successful. I, I, I did. Um, and so I had heard that business deals are done on the golf course. <laughs> so I saw some guys in my office that were successful. And they told me that, you know, we do a lot of this business. We get some of these clients by playing golf. So I was like, Tiger, Tiger Woods, y'all, I'm about to hop up in this golf. But we do that, too. We, we do that, too. We taking over that, too. Tiger was popping back then, so I had all the courage because of Tiger. And so my, my cousin had paid for me. He, he paid for me. I didn't have to pay, but he paid for me. He bought me a set. He paid free. He bought me a set of golf clubs. He, he bought me a set of golf clubs. So I said, you know what? I'm about to roll down to the country club in Longwood and I'm about to show them what the business is. Now mind you I've never swung a golf club in my life. But but I got a I got a club. And so I, I went and bought all kinds of, of golfing gear. I, I I went out there and bought some pants and some shoes and and, and a, a Nike golf shirt. I'm ready to I'm ready to ball till I fall on the golf course. And so I, I get out there on the golf course and I'm like let me at it. And so when we got out there, it was 178 degrees outside. 178 degrees. It was the summertime in Florida, and I didn't realize how, how long golf take. I thought it was like basketball. You have quarters, you have a halftime, you can go sit on the bench, you can get some Gatorade. But, but no, that ain't the case. So we out there, we, we swinging, and so I, I swung. I was like the first time they put the ball down there. I said, oh, let me, ha- let me have at it. It's, it's just like baseball. So let me tell you a true story. Because <laughs> I'm the man. Your boy swung that thing. I, 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 I saw Tiger. I leaned and ran back swung through that thing, and man, I hit nothing but air. Matter of fact, I hit so much grass, I think a blade of grass hit God in the eye. I I didn't hit no ball. I I swung again, nothing but grass. I mean, grass is everywhere, all I see is dirt. I'm messing up these people's grass like it's nobody's business. I can't hit a ball to save my life. I finally connected on a ball about on my eighth swing. I hit the ball, and the ball went behind me. Now, now you make sense of that. I, I don't know how a golf ball goes behind me, but that's what happened when I went golfing the first time, and so it's hot outside. We three hours in. I ain't hit a ball for it yet. We, we three hours in, but I want to be successful. And so I'm like, okay, so let me talk to the people in the clubhouse, see if I can find me a, a, an instructor, somebody to teach me, a, a tutor, somebody that I, I can walk behind, a, a discipler. So I said, hey, man. How long is it going to take me to, to learn how to play golf? Because I want the rewards that my friend have, my friends in the office have, my colleagues. I want to give life to my business. I, I want life in my business. And so I, I need to do what they do. So dude was like, yo, it takes you, it'll, it'll take you about three, um, three years I said three years. You don't mean three weeks. He said no, about three years. I said three years. Uh, how often? He said you got to play uh, about twenty hours a week. I said oh, that's a part. I said that's a part time job. That's a part time job. And so I was like, the balls ain't free. He said like, no, no, the balls ain't free. I said okay. And so um, I, I was like, oh, let me let me re- reconsider my business strategy for this season of my life. And so at that moment, I had to had to make a decision. A- am I going to be able to? Walk the path that is necessary. Am I going to be able to follow the path of those, of the one that went before me that I was trying to be like? Because I had to go through some Florida summers. I I had to go through some torrential downpours in order for me to get the life that I wanted to have. And so I realized I wasn't willing to pay the cost to be the boss. And so in order for me to be a good golfer, I couldn't skip any steps. I had to pay, I had to pay for it. I, 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 the, the, the golf club was free, right? But I had to make a sacrifice in order for me to be successful. And what I'm saying to you is, it is free, but you're gonna have to pay for it and give up something. It's going to be hard. In this Christian life, you will have to deal with some hot summers. In this Christian life, you will have to deal with some torrential downpours like it is in Florida in the summer. You will have to go through some hurricanes, but I would tell you this, if I would have stuck with it, it would have all been worth it, but I wasn't willing to pay the cost. And so my question to you today is, if you want to follow the path of the suffering Savior, you got to walk the streets that he walked. You got to go through some fiery ordeals that he went through, but I will tell you this don't be like me stick to Jesus walk through it pay the cost cut out what whatever you need to cut off invest whatever you need to invest because in the end it will be worth it and so he felt Jesus felt what we felt yet he didn't sin and so when we go through stuff and we feel like we want to give up we shouldn't let it drive us to despair but it should give us hope Because he is the instructor and he's willing to walk with us through it. The third reason that you can rejoice is because by God's grace, we can rejoice because the joy that we will experience at his coming will be worth it if we never give up if we never walk through the faith if we hold fast to our confession the pain the hurt the loss the disappointment that we feel will pale in comparison to the glory that is to come when he returns any joy that we experience now in this life is just a foretaste of the joy that we will experience at his coming it will be a type of joy that we experience that we will never experience in this life but but the hurt the scars, the mistreatment, the loss that we have in this life will pale in comparison to the glory that he will reveal to us at his coming. So my advice to you is to hold on to Jesus because if you want to know joy, unspeakable, unparalleled, we have not seen nothing yet. The joy that Jesus is bringing with him will be free of pain, free of disappointment, free of letdown, but we must hold on and not give out hope. And so therefore we can Rejoice in our suffering, knowing that one day it will all make sense. This is consoling for us. This is a great encouragement for us. But in the meantime, if you are suffering as a Christian, if you feel that it's difficult to walk the path of Jesus, if, if, you're, if faith is hard for you, if you've ever lost something because you decided to follow Jesus, he says in the text, that you are blessed. If you've ever been maligned because you follow Jesus, even if it's painful, he says you are blessed. And he tells us why you're blessed. He says, because the spirit of glory and of God, it rests on you. The blessing is because of his presence in our life. Only because of the spirit and the power of God do we have the resolve and the strength to walk through everything that we face. It is difficult to love our neighbors. It is difficult to forgive those that have offended us. It is difficult to live boldly for Jesus in a a culture that is hostile to what we believe. It is difficult to walk away from sin and strive to live a godly life, but our resolve comes because we know that his spirit and his presence is with us and this is so encouraging for us as believers that God has not abandoned us, but God is present with us in our circumstances. He makes a very important point in verse 16. He says this, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God in that name. So we think he refers to them as, as Christians. We think that he's saying to them language that they use. But here's what we must know that the term Christian was not created by Christians. They were actually, they weren't called Christians then. They were called followers of the way. The name Christians was because unbelievers called them Christians. They were little Christ. And so unbelievers said these are Christians. And so what he's saying is when they call you Christians, which was a form of insults, form of insult to Christians by unbelievers, He says that there is a badge of honor in being called a Christian, that 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 is not a bad thing when they call you that, that you shouldn't be ashamed of it, but that you should humbly be proud that he they called you a Christian. I want to read something to you. It's a story in Acts five. It's a beautiful story. And here's what it says in Acts five, verse 41. After they had spoke to some of the leaders, it says this. Or some of those who are opposed Christians, they said this, then they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name. And so what it's saying is they found it an honor that people treated them bad because they knew that they were only following the course of Jesus. If you've never been talked about badly because you decided to follow Jesus, then maybe you haven't followed him. If you've never felt the pressure to capitulate, the temptation to duck and hide because you are a believer, if you've never been in the workplace and they go around and ask questions or you get caught up in a conversation about a hot topic of the day and you know what the popular uh, uh, way of thinking is but you with yourself are are this Christian and you know what the Bible says about a certain topic and you feel the pressure but you don't capitulate and you instead it an honor to be called a name because you stuck with Jesus. That's not something to be ashamed of, but that's something that we can take honor and pride in. And and so here's what it says. Here's why we can. Verses 17 through 19 says this. For the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. We've heard that before. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? And if a righteous person is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. So let me give you a moment of theological clarity. And so you're probably asking, Pastor, I've heard you say before that, that we as Christians won't be judged for our sins. We won't be judged for our sins, but we will be judged. We'll be judged for our works. But what he's talking about is this. Those of us who put our trust in Christ, I want to give you reassurance. Those of us who put our trust in Christ, we will stand before God, but we will not have to answer for our sins. The penalty and debt for our sins has been paid free and full by Jesus Christ, by his precious blood that was shed on the... We are free in Christ Jesus. We we don't have to pay for our sins. We are free. However, there will be a judgment, a testing of sorts that we will experience as believers that determines whether we uh, belong to God or not. And that is what we experience now as believers. It is God's judgment upon mankind so that he can separate the real from the fake. See, when we go through these trials, what it does is it reveals whether we truly belong to God or not. Anybody can say that they are a Christian when they don't have to go through anything, but the true test of your faith is when you are under pressure, when the fire is hot, it is blazing, and you gotta stand for Jesus. That That is when we'll determine whether you are a believer or not, and what I've seen in my experience as a pastor, I love everybody, and God's grace, I pray God's grace for everybody, but what I've seen is, I've seen people come in the church on fire for God, on fire for God, loving Jesus with their whole heart, and soon as they go through a breakup, they walk away. As soon as they lose a job, they they walk away. As soon as they face some marital issues, they they, they walk away. As soon as the money is not looking how they imagine, they they walk away away from the faith. But if you truly belong to him, it does not matter what season of life that you're in. That that when things happen that you didn't prepare for, you don't see them as God's displeasure, but you see them as a sign of God's pleasure that he decided that he would put you in a situation that you can show off the glory of Christ by what you go through, that you can show the world that your God is good whether everything is going right or everything is going wrong. Your endurance brings glory to God, but our suffering also brings clarity. And the clarity is this. That we know where we stand when we're able to endure what we have to go through in the name of Christ. This is not suffering. And I'm almost done. This is not suffering in the sense of us doing something and then having to pay consequences of our decisions. He talks about it. This is not for those that murder and do evil things or meddle in other people's business. But the suffering that he's talking about is when you find yourself in a situation and you have to make a decision if you're going to follow Christ or not. And by God's help, you make a decision and says, you know what? This is hard. I know this may cost me something. I don't care what it costs me. I'm going to follow Jesus. You may find yourself in a relationship where the temptation is there to disobey God. However, You can make a choice to say, you know what? I'd rather lose you than lose Jesus. I'd rather hold on to my faith. And not compromise. Because I know God is worth it. You may find yourself in your career field. And you may have to go where everybody else is going or be expected to, to have the same line of thinking. And it may come a time where what you're expected to do and believe comes up against God's word. And you will have to ask yourself, am I willing to lose my livelihood to keep my relationship with Jesus? am I willing to go through this no matter what it costs so that God can get the glory out of my life? And so, he says something so interesting in verse 19. He says, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. It is easy to follow God when everything is going good. Anybody can do that. But but, but what is it? What does it look like when times are hard? And the shortcut is right there. I, I don't know who I'm talking to this morning, but somebody needs to hear this. That it's not worth it. Follow Jesus. Rejoice in the opportunity for him to get the glory out of your life. Trust your life to him. No matter the cost, no matter the outcome, do it continually. He says, trust yourself to a faithful creator. That This is good news for us. This is good news because it lets us know that God is sovereign even in our suffering. God is sovereign even in that hard season of life. God is sovereign in that. I want to give you a tidbit here. This encouragement is strange to me. Let's not forget who it is that's encouraging us. Let's not forget who's talking to us right now. Who's talking to us right now? Mr. Denied Jesus three times himself. When he was put on the spot, when he was put on the spot, I want the text to show you what he did. Luke 22, and I'm going to read it for you. So they arrested him and led him to to the high priest's home. And Peter followed at a distance. This is Peter in his young age. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it, and Peter joined them there. A girl came up and noticed the firefighter and began staring at him, and she's looking. She's staring at him. And finally she said, yo, this dude, this one of the dudes that was following Jesus. And Peter said it. Peter turned into shaggy. Peter said, it wasn't me. P- Peter turned into shaggy. He says, woman, I don't even know him. I-, I don't even know him. And after a while, someone looked at him and said, that's a dude. you got to be one of them. He said, no, that ain't me. It wasn't me. That wasn't me, that was somebody else. And about an hour later, somebody else came along. And it's, hey, that's one of them. And Peter said, man, I don't even know what you're talking about. And there Peter is denying the one that he walked with closely when the pressure was on him. And here he is, wise old Peter, looking back to encourage us and saying, don't make the same mistake that I made. But that ain't the best part of the story. The best part of the story Is that the resurrected Jesus came back and you can find the story in John, the 21st chapter, and they are having a fish fry for breakfast. I I so want to put some cultural context in this because the only people that I know that have a fish fry in the morning. Don't worry about it. The resurrected Jesus. Still had grace for Peter. He told that same Peter that denied him three times. Feed my sheep. And the point in me telling you that is this, that we've all denied it more than three times. We've all capitulated to peer pressure at some point or another. We've all said and done the wrong thing at some point, but his grace is sufficient. I want to encourage you not to get down on yourself, but I want to encourage you to look to the cross. For every time that you fail, look to the cross. Look to Jesus. He died for your failure, but when he died, he was raised to life. He was raised to life for your right to eternal life. And so because he got up, you can get up too and you can get up and follow Jesus. So the next time the fiery ordeal comes, don't be surprised by it. Expect it and then rejoice in it. Because God wants to get the glory out of our lives. Let us pray.